Welcome back to part two of our Yawpcast for December 9th, 2019. Our final Yawp of the Year featuring our Palm of the Year Smackdown. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. If you listened to part one, I completely forgot to introduce myself, so I hope you understood that it was me. And if you didn't, well, now you know. Our Poem of the Year Smackdown features the 12 winners of Yop Poem of the Year decided by audience vote over the past 12 months, beginning with December of 2018. So we are looking at the Yop Poem of the Year winners from 2018, December, all the way to November of 2019. This year's Poem of the Year finalists in the order in which they won their awards, Hannah Donovan, Mary Sun, Alex Giorgio, Beatrice K., Rachel Goldberg, Josephine Blair, Azira Azizuddin-McLeod, Shane Wagner, Marshall Grip-Gilson, Kyle Brosnahan, Constantine Jones, and Kim Brandon. As you will hear once you listen to the recording, which I am sure you will listen to every minute of, uh, a few of our readers couldn't be at the SmackDown. Beatrice K. and Azira Azizuddin-McLeod sent in audio recordings of their poem, Mary Sutton couldn't be there either, and her poem was read by one of our staff members, Renee Kay. Uh, she sent in the text of the poem. Rachel Goldberg also could not be there. We did not have her poem or the recording. That's why you don't hear Rachel on the recording. Uh, so basically, we were down to eight poets live and in the flesh at the SmackDown, two uh, audioed in via recording and one with a proxy reader so we had 11 of the 12 readers i hope that's not too confusing let's just get right to the reading itself uh you will hear the 11 of the 12 poem of the year finalists and then we will hear from yawpers of the year we're oh, sorry uh before the yawpers of the year now it's getting totally confusing because i'm getting confused our uh poem of the year winners from last year our co-winners laura murphy and Emily Wilkinson uh, will be on the recording as well. Emily also sent an audio file because she is in Australia. Laura was there live and in the flesh. And then we will hear from 2018 Yopper of the Year Bill Livingston and our 2019 Yopper of the Year Julian Knobloch. Wow, that was a lot of news in the intro part. I hope you enjoy this. Uh, let's just get right to it then. We are now onto the Poem of the Year Smackdown. How are you feeling, Brooklyn? Okay, nice. You guys are ready. So, uh, do you all have a ballot? Who needs a ballot? Okay, where is Renee? I hope we have enough ballots. We are out of ballots. Okay, well, does anyone have any paper? God damn, I made, we made like 88 ballots. We did not expect 95 people. Rent Ferris has some paper. Anyone else have some paper? Any of you that had your hand up? Didn't you come to the workshop? Don't you have some paper? Are you writers or what? <laughs> Where's the paper in this room, writers? This is like probably like 80% writers. Nobody but Rent has paper? Oh, thank you. Thank you. So generous. <laughs> he had the paper. He just didn't want to share it. <laughs> oh, yeah, you could take some of that. So maybe just like, yeah, rip them up into smaller pieces of paper. So uh, listen carefully. Uh, who doesn't have a ballot? If you don't have a ballot, either find a piece of paper or raise your hand, and Joe will come give you a scrap. You might even, like, put them into smaller scraps, Joe. 
We will give you a piece of paper, and then you're just going to have to write the name down. This is what I call being totally prepared for any eventuality. <laughs> it's also what I call a good problem. Too many guests at the event. Does everyone have a piece of paper that doesn't have a bell? Okay, great. Oh, okay, now you're annoyed. That's good. <laughs> so I just have to remember the name and write the name down as best you can. Uh, you might take notes on that, you know, so, okay, so you vote once, we're going to collect the votes at the end of the night, make sure you don't crumple the paper up too small or something, because uh, it's going to make it harder to collect. Okay, are we all with me? Yeah. Are you ready? Okay, so, uh, maybe it's a little anticlimactic, some of the readers couldn't be here tonight, the couple of them that couldn't be here sent me audio recordings, so we're going to hear their voice. Uh, one person just sent me an email 45 minutes before I was... Coming here, did not have a recording, did not have a poem, so she is just not going to be part of it, and uh, that's really too bad, but uh, it's really on her, and I'm not going to say who that is, and then one other reader didn't send me an audio file, but did send the poem for somebody else to read, so Renee Kay will be reading, that's Renee Kay right there, give her a round of applause, because Renee Kay will be reading a poem by our first contestant of the evening, Mary Sun, give it up for Mary Sun via Renee Kay. I am Mary's son for the next few minutes. I hope I make her proud. This poem is called Rainforest Mind. The first time, I am wearing green cotton. The second time, black denim. The third, white linen, when they try to name my rainforest mind. The first time, I am picking at cheap plastic. The second, peeling linoleum. The third, manila folder as they put letters to a blood wildness. Like sticking magnets to wet leaves, they are struggling. Me too. Rainforest mind is not broken, jagged capitals, or their doctor scrawl, this clueless checklist. I think that someone should tell them, tell them rainforest are histories. Armies of giants growing from a holy wine, sopping birthplaces dried out too soon. Rainforest mind is the self as wood cortex, pacing thoughts as branching vines. This world as so many tree children knit together by loneliness and a yearning of roots. Mine learned to drink blood water, survived on the poison of a choiceless pain. Of course, I grew sideways. Rainforest mind has you watering dark gardens, has you leaving the alarm shrieking for hours just so something will really need you. Rainforest mind remembers the rape and the rainier summer in the same breath. It is less where things fall now, more how deep, how far they stretch the accordion of your branches. Rainforest mind needs to grow over the sun sometimes, need you to find comfort in our gaps because how can a forest exist without shade? You were made to grow blind, to foster a darkness so gorgeous it learned straight. No one shames the first frost for its murders. Do not shame yourself for the corpses you never asked for. 
All you can do is carry them in your cage of ribs, smear peat and moss on their eyes when their stares do not serve you, write the novel's worth of happy endings your spine does not believe in, love the child, I give you permission. A white coat will tell you that you are trying to outrun loneliness, but how can the canopy leaves be lonely? They are nestled so close, a drop of rain takes 10 minutes to hit the ground. Tell them that rainforests are surface area, soldier leaves packed so tight in their own, the general's conversation can carry for a beautiful, beautiful mile. Rainforest mind means splinter off in the middle of a sentence. Another vine is growing. Rainforest mind doesn't plan commutes, doesn't really see time, doesn't accept the first or second or third ending. Break up, don't go home for Christmas. Rainforest mind won't remember birthdays or cook or allow you to pretend at parties but it is always sure that everything can grow, can be better and fuller and more branched than the ground understands what to do with. Rainforest mind sings an ode to the softness in our skulls, to the fear of growing whole, because who are you without the reverberations, to being your own myelin, your own cancer machine, to be the source and the bearer. And when you are done singing, when you realize you have caught your breath, the forest will start to hyperventilate again. Let it, let the thoughts sieve, cross your bows protectively over one another and watch as they touch you through a glass wall. Rainforest mind needs you to read irresponsibly to order delivery from 50 feet away, to hang up on your mother and move to Seattle, ignore the straight lanes you think everyone lives in, rip yourself open and sew your own sutures, split so often they become familiar seams, hold yourself together as another one leaves, you know you are already growing a new vine in case the last offerings were not enough, and you are already leaving it to epilogue. 20 world leaders sit around a table in Buenos Aires and the world burns. Eight hours north, a rainforest filters their smoke through its lungs. In its canopy are half the species on this earth, its plants eating its animals and its animals eating its plants, preying on yourself the logic of the Amazon and of you, yet you both manage to housekeep this place, to airbrush their pain, to bubble in the alchemy of turning loss into oxygen. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Uh, one more round of applause for Renee for uh, reading that poem. That poem was by Mary Sun. She is on your ballot, Rainforest Mind. If you don't have a ballot, but a piece of paper. That was Mary Sun. Our next reader of the evening, very funny man. Give it up for Kyle Brosnahan. Hello. 
Uh, yeah, thank you all for coming out tonight. I really love Broken Poets. I'm excited for this. Uh, yeah, I'm Kyle. This poem is called uh, Martha. <coughs> this is Martha. She is the beginning. You know what she looks like. She was once beginning, but that's over, and now she's old. She is dying. Didn't you hear? She's dead. This is Maggie. She's a collage of people. People say she looks like people. This is Mav. She's a person, isn't she? This is Magatha. Yes, that is her real name. Magatha hates her real name. She wishes it were Margot. This is Margot. Margot is my friend. You can't have her. This is Madeline. She loves her name. She sings it to herself sometimes. She is happy most days, aren't you? This is Madison. She's reading a book under a sky. You heard me. A sky. This is Mackenzie. She is shy. It's all right, Mackenzie. You can come out. As you can see, she is horribly disfigured, but she doesn't mind that. Do you, Mackenzie? Do you? This is Mary Jane. She goes to church every day and believes in God very much so everyone please keep all the funny business to a reasonable level. This is Maisie. Maisie hates reasonable levels. She makes fun of them at dinner parties. This is Marcia. She did not consent to having a name, but there it is. This is Matilda. She is perfect. This is Maxine. She is more perfect than Matilda. This is Marlene. She's not perfect at all. This is Melody. Or is it? Wait, sorry. This is Melody. Trust me. This is Mimi. She's an imposter. This is Misty. She is studying to be an astronaut. My money's on Mars. You hear that, Misty? Mars. This is Mina. She wants to kill herself, but who doesn't these days? This is Millicent. She is never wanted to kill herself. Isn't that nice? This is Monica. She is not afraid of dying about this or that. Go ahead. Try her. Ask her about anything. Ask her about death. Ask her about God. No, wait, that's boring. Ask her about Morgan. This is Morgan. This is Moog. She is listening. This is May. May's the main character in my novel. Isn't she pretty? This is Maud. She's not pretty, and she's not the main character of anything. Poor Maud. She needs to take. She needs to take a shower. May, would you be a doll and help Maud find the shower? This is Melania. No, not that Melania, but close. This is Melissa. She had an accident. She says she needs your help, but don't listen to her. She's faking it. This is Micah. She's from Europe. She knows French and German and Danish and Italian, but sadly no Greek. This is Mira. She knows so much Greek, and she just killed Micah. This is Miley. She. <laughs> she's with the cops. Nobody move. She wants to know which one of you girls just killed Micah. She asked some questions. Everyone up against the wall. It's all right. If you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. This is Mercy. She says we all have something to fear. This is May. Her biggest fear is nothing, as in the void. We all know what the void is, right? This is Meadow. She is the void, and you are filling her up. This is Marilyn. I think she's a stranger. What the fuck is a stranger doing here? Molly, get rid of her. This is Molly. She is my mother. This is Mafanwi. She is my dad. This is Matilda again, but this time Matilda's are ending, aren't you, Matilda? This is Martha. She's back from the dead. Matilda wasn't cutting it, so now Martha has been kind enough to fill in. Thank you, Martha. Thank you. Seriously, Martha, that's enough. Martha, can you hear me? Martha, it's me. Remember? Me. Martha, go home. Martha, it's not funny anymore. Seriously, Martha. Please. Martha, why are you doing this? This is Martha. She is always doing this. This is Martha. She never ends. Thank you. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. That was better the second time, I feel like. That was Kyle Brosnahan. Our next reader of the evening is Hannah Donovan. Give it up for Hannah. Um, I don't live in Brooklyn anymore, so it's so nice to be back here <laughs> for this. Um, and it's a poem about Brooklyn that I wrote a year ago, so it's nice to revisit it. Um, this is called The Walk Home, or Post-Chakra Cleansing Ramblings from November 17th, 2018. 
My energy worker told me I shouldn't beg, but who's to say that's what it'll be? Sawdust and car exhaust smell a lot like Palo Santo if you're in the right mind, and I am swamped in old memories looking for a new miracle, so I take a big gulp of air as I step over the transmission hose on Grand at Morgan. The night wind gnaws my hands down to the bone, and I'm wishing I'd grabbed the mittens your mom bought me last Christmas before leaving the house. Wound through a vintage shop to pick out a piece I'll never take off for you, but the speaker blared through my calm and I left empty-handed, floating past the waif with the heavy eyelids and the ready-to-buy impatience of a chill millennial, Wrangler jeans in tow. Every poem is an arm out to you. Before I even realize who I'm addressing, there it is, overstretched, taut but soft, growing tired but steeped in hope. Killed a coconut water and a green juice before I even rounded the corner onto Palmetto. My body is a temple, and you, my darling, are the only one I've ever let trash the place. Thank you. <laughs> Um, Hannah won last December. Uh, it's been a long time. I didn't remember that ending. I love that ending. <laughs> uh, that is love. <laughs> Letting someone trash the place. That was Hannah Donovan. I'm really enjoying this so far. I hope you are. You having a good time? Yeah. All right. Our next reader is no stranger to all of you who come to the Yop. Regularly give it up for Constantine Jones. Hi. Oh, I don't know who said I love you, but I love you all. Hi. It's like actually possible to love everyone. Did you know that? Um, can you hear me? Yeah? Cool. This is part of uh, an ongoing project called Death Medley Blues, and I'm going to shut up about it, but it's um, Crossroad Blues slash O-Death Reprisal. So here we go. The center was hard to find on account of the scaffolding they put up around the church. Can't remember, did I walk there or come up at the subway, but either way, all of a sudden, the sky, it was gone. I'm early for once, and it's looking like rain. Hi, hello, is there somewhere I can just sit a sec, charge my phone? Yeah, anywhere, really. There wasn't one of these back home. I wonder would it have made a difference? Would death have come with me then, to that place? Would the people feel uncomfortable? Would death? Patty Smith had a new book out. That's what I had in my bag. I was trying to read it, but all I could focus on was the coffee. How she'd sniff them out, every special cup, anywhere she went. I was in the center cafe, but suddenly I wanted the chase. I went around the corner to the deli nearby, paid a dollar. It wasn't the same. Then I just felt silly. Sitting there in the AIDS Memorial Park, too ashamed to go back inside the center. The clouds, I wish they'd just make up their minds already. Come on down. See the pigeons, the people, skateboard clatter on the poem. Did you know Jenny Holzer picked the Walt Whitman lines for the memorial? See? It says it right here on the plaque. Oh, death. Where were you? Where were you then? Sure, I had questions, but could you answer them? Would you even? 
And anyway, was it any easier back home? Driving out south across the river at night, the big neon JFG coffee sign coming up at the dark trees on our way out to the poison lawn, some show or other passing through. We all were. Hey, pass me a beer. Where y'all from? Cool, cool. Yeah, I love it there. No, come back soon. Come back. Like any place good, it's closed down now. Something else or just not any place at all. The word archive, it has a history, but I don't know it. Memorial, though, that one I know. If the Greeks are to believe, and that's a really big if, <laughs> memory's the mother of all the nine muses, and she lives deep down in the pool of Hades. Eternal memory, you see, it's reserved for the dead, not the living, and even in only the heroes. That's how come all the old poets and playwrights had to call upon her at the beginning of all their stories, being bound as they were to only the one life. How else could they remember back that far? And anyway, the stories, it's all the same, just versions and versions and versions. That's all. Still, here I am. Am I being remembered? Or just being? Can I be both? Who would I ask? Who would I give my past to? Who will I leave to sift through or burn these boxes? The fucking vanity of it all. Will you, death, I mean, do you remember everyone? How can you? Still here. That's the phrase that gets me. Still as in ongoing going on even after, even though. God damn, my head's a wreck. Is there scaffolding for that? Tiny men to scurry across it, pass me up? No, no, I don't think so. On the walk back home through the AIDS Memorial Park, I see a pigeon get run over in the street. It was standing there with its mate, or maybe just another pigeon, I don't know. Neck snapped right in half, the blood was brighter than I expected. I heard the bone, so I just turned to watch it. And the other bird just turned to watch it, too. We both just stood there watching it. Crossing the street the other way, two boys were holding hands. They also saw it happen, making big gestures and sad noises. I turned back around and headed for the train. Oh, death. If you wanted to say hi, why not just say so? Thank you. Okay, that was Constantine Jones. Quality poems in the SmackDown. I am really impressed all over again. Our next reader is the winner last month, so you might remember her if you were here last month. Give it up for Kim Brandon. Of all my poems, it's the one with panties in it that uh, <laughs> is chosen. You know, I'm losing my activist credits by reading this, right? Okay. It was to imply a time to be brave 
walk through the fire, embers roasting what was left of combed out hair. Only the panties, the big girl warrior, lift that car off that baby's leg, wrestle a wild bear, go to court and ask for a lower bail, put up with the bulletless war of gentrification, put that cousin out who always took too much too often, those big girl panties, those panties that feel painted on to black skin. So when they tell you to put on your big girl panties and get it done, as if you have ever taken them off. You don't know how many days straight you've been wearing those same drawers. You hand washed them in the sink just the other day, had to put them back on before they dried. There's always a century of reasons why. When the undergarments became threadbare with wear, the plastic band shot, the bright colors bleached out with lye soap, they sag. Even with a safety pin holding them up, they sag. <laughs> Needing a day off and never getting one, they sag. They sag, they sag, they sag. So conspire. Conspire to squirrel away days to mend, days to stitch, days even to frolic. Frolic in tall grasses, butt naked bottom sticking up frolic. Turn a silent ear to trouble play in fields of lilacs and stargazers, dance until you fall down with joy. And when word comes that Auntie Bluebell has died, died young from exhaustion and consumption, she wore those same big girl panties every day of her life, painted on with lace and loss, held together with hope and steal and spit and tears. She managed to keep them clean, just barely though. She used to say, who has time for cold water washing when you live on the front line? When the undertaker asked the family, what y'all want to do with them big girl panties? You tell them to take those off of her. Take them off. Tell them to bury them under a tangle of morning glories. And then conspire. Conspire to usher in a well-deserved peace. Play in fields of lilacs and stargazers. Dance until you pass out with joy. Remember, remember the short life of Auntie Bluebell. Thank you. Okay, thank you. That was Kim Brandon. Our next reader will be here in spirit. We are going to play a recording uh, of her poem. The name is Azira Azazuddin McLeod, Daughter Stone History. If you have a ballot, you will see it. 
So this is Azira's poem. Are you guy? Wait, hold on. Are you ready? We have people leaving. How are you leaving this event? Okay, goodbye. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, hopefully they voted. They're like, okay, we're we've seen enough. All right. Well, I'm s- I'm silent. I'm silently judging them. I'm <laughs> not even silently judging them. I'm I'm actually audibly judging as you walk down. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> I dare I dare you to leave after that. <laughs> Our next reading is by Azira Azazudin McLeod. Give it up for Azira. Shake so free. I shed my life and lust. And do you think I could stir up dusk at dawn? Do you think I could spread myself across the sands of time and replace my current self with imagery so quick and serene, so infinite, so set in stone that they wouldn't dare to question my backbone? I've been stretching for generations and I want my daughters to stop being so flexible, so malleable. And do you think I can tell tomorrow my daughters and their sanity, my daughters and their humanity are non-negotiable? Hormonal bellies, tired breasts, they sag in contemplation. Should we be perched on history's doorstep or spilt into sleepiness? Boy, bye. I will not bend or shrink for nobody. I don't care what jewel-crusted crumbs you swing my way. I will not be your what once was parade. I will not be your somber party of one. I will not be your victim or your martyr. I will not succumb to your offerings of unparalleled success. My existence is success. I will not bleed for you. I will not shave for you. I will not tuck in or erase for you. I will not cover up or shut up. I will not love myself less to make room for your angst. I will not teach you how to be a man no more than my mother taught me how to be a woman. So you dig for your own jewels and sharpen your own tools. I will not be your water. I will not make for you rain. I will not plant any seeds you cannot plant yourself. When I learn to taste the salt of my own sweat, I will not swallow my laughter for you. I am not your accessory. I am not your ignition. I am not your cape or cloak or clay or any other sea you see in me. I will not squeak until my last breath. I will not mourn the loss of you. I will not teach my children to be like you or unlike you. I will only teach them to dig for their own jewels and sharpen their own tools. Accountability is a, and ain't that a shame. I am not your maid, cleaning up generations of shame. I am not your doll on a shelf, not your rainy day fun, not your competitive muse. I will not bring out of you anything you are unwilling to bring out of yourself. All right. Thank you, Azira. That silence was powerful. We didn't realize it was it was over. Uh, that was a first <laughs> at the Broken Bowes Yup. Someone coming in by audio. That was cool. Our next reader is live and in the flesh. Give it up for Marshall Grip Gilson. Yeah. On August 9th, 2014, 
the police of Ferguson, Missouri killed Michael Brown. The protests that followed helped catalyze the modern anti-police violence movement. And since those protests, 17 attendees have been found dead. This poem was not written for them, but this performance is dedicated to them. Black boy climbs into the gorilla cage to ask for advice. The black boy cranes his neck up at the gorilla, sees a glint of the familiar in the face watching him, feels the fear leave him peaceful, like blood pooling on a city sidewalk. And he whispers, I have so many questions. The gorilla straightens its back, then ask me. So the black boy asks, how do you survive your cage? And the gorilla shakes its head and responds, no one ever survives. And the black boy says, you're missing the point. <laughs> Not at all, says the gorilla. The black boy thinks for a moment, and the gorilla, the gorilla sees the panicked onlookers gathering around the fence, pointing, shaking, like the barrel of an unsure gun. And the black boy says, but how do you stay alive? Where do you hide your anger? And the gorilla says, I never hide. And again, the black boy says, you're missing the point. Not at all, says the gorilla. The black boy notices the commotion outside the gates and says, they're coming to protect me, you know. These hunters have been waiting. The gorilla scoffs. Silly human who believes in protection. These hunters and their bullets never wait. They may make trophies of us, but we are not yet. We are still alive. And the black boy says, but how? How are you still alive? How do you survive your cage? And the gorilla says, this cage is not mine. And again, the black boy says, you're missing the point. Not at all, says the gorilla. I didn't choose this cage, I was placed here. These people with their wide white faces come to see us dangerous, to watch our hands ready to tear living flesh from a skeleton. We pound our chests and roar as though we are not born of captivity, as though we are not stolen children, as though we do not live at their discretion. They mistake our wailing for anger, but it's pain. It's the sound of the hell growing too big to be restrained. It's the sound of our demands. They imagine us without chains, but never open the gates. Never Never want us within arm's length of their fragile necks. Only turn our turmoil to spectacle and call us animals. Do not mistake the cage for yours. It was designed to hold you in place for observation. You want to know how I survive? Boy child, you're missing the point. No one ever survives. You should know this. You're black like me. You were born almost dead and have been molting pieces of your alive ever since. And the black boy says, then where do we go? How do we stop the pain? And the gorilla says, I have only learned one way. Outside the cage, the hunter loads his rifle, swings the barrel up slow as nightfall. He can see every part of the gorilla through the sight, its chest, its throat, its temple. The hunter relaxes, takes a deep breath.
Fantastic. Thank you, Marshall. That was Marshall Grip Gilson. We are down to four readers, three of whom are here in the flesh. Our next reader is another audio poet. She also moved away from Brooklyn recently. Give it up for Beatrice K. I am one of four heavily bruised oranges. Angular jabs mark my rind, my skin crusting and shriveling at the core. I am sitting on a banged up black styrofoam plate covered in saran wrap. The thinnest stretch of plastic shields you from the sweet tangy air that has sustained me across oceans. My grandmother's whole names hang heavy in this air, trapped between the saran wrap and the styrofoam. Agrippina, Juana, Minda, Leonila, yet to be Americanized to Lily or Grandma. In this air, we speak with our original accents, each syllable filling my mouth with thick organ breath. This air shapes our every juicy crevice, names us feminine, but demands that you call us daddy. A neon orange sticker loudly declares, I am 99 cents. As if the trash piled on the sidewalk next to the street cart I am sitting on does not already explain my commercial value. This is the only way you've ever known how to love me. Bruised and contained, a moldy artifact in a museum, an institution built on what used to be Bed-Stuy. Thank you. That was a cute ending. Uh, that was Beatrice K. We are down to three readers. Our next reader is Shane Wagner. Give it up for Shane. The other day I was feeding my son. He's 19. <laughs> I say I was feeding my son because ever since he was a baby, he hasn't had a bite of food or a sip of a drink unless somebody else was holding the spoon or the cup. When you have children, you have expectations. There are those expectations you get from your family and your community. Things like, what does it mean to be a member of a certain ethnic group? What does it mean to be a member of a certain religion? And there are those expectations that parents bring themselves. Things like, well, some hope their children will be great musicians or good at math. Others dream that their children will be great athletes. I always wanted to be able to talk with my son. In fact, I was really looking forward to having the talk the birds and the bees. But when you have a child with special needs, you have to reset your expectations. And you do it in waves. You let go, and you hold on. You let go, and you hold on. You let go because it hurts to keep expecting something that never comes. And you hold on because you feel naked without your hopes and dreams. 
You let go and you hold on and you promise yourself you're going to let it all go. You're going to dig deep. You're going to get it all out. So you do the hard work and you let it all go. And then you realize you have more work to do. So there I was, feeding my son lunch, sharing my lunch with him. When out of the corner of my eye, I saw him whole, handsome, healthy. I did a double take and it was gone. But I remember what he looked like. And I remember how it felt. I'm not a religious man. I don't think often about God or soul or spirit. And maybe what I saw was an unexorcised expectation bubbling up to the surface. Or maybe, for one brief moment, the veil of our reality was pulled back just enough for me to see my son's true self. Beautiful poem. Thank you, Shane. I was not here for that one last July, so it was nice to hear that in person for the first time. Uh, we're down to two readers. Our penultimate poet, I just wanted to say that. When she's not writing poems, she's playing Elizabeth Bishop in her own short film. Give it up for Alex Sarah Giorgio. are kind of asleep so hopefully I don't collapse um yeah thank you <laughs> so um I'm gonna read a poem called poem in the manner of Frank O'Hara is it true you started weeping when you came across that picture of John Ashbery in Watermill Yes, well, I weep all the time, not because I am sad, but because everything eventually meets everything else. Isn't it gratifying? Anyway, it wasn't about John's clever eyebrows, and I'm having a perfectly good time. On Sunday, I saw a Japanese film about family, then walked down Houston Street in search of something left over. Norma wanted to work, which disappointed me. Come walk the streets with me, Norma. Have those dirty martinis you like. Am I not shinier than your manuscripts? At Milano's, a group of Venezuelans watched the Super Bowl. It didn't seem to matter much. The man next to me was a pilot. Monday, he was on call for a flight to Ohio. I've never been to Ohio, but I showed him a poem by Frank O'Hara and showed the bartender, too, because I wanted to make him cry. He was charming and took several cigarette breaks. In the spring, he'll be playing Macbeth at a theater right by my old apartment on Rivington Street. Doesn't it make you wild with joy, the clicks and entertainments? I'm trying to explain about John Ashbery, who gave a talk at NYU a few years ago and I think shook my hand. He wasn't dashing anymore and I won't be either one day. Other than that, his face was the same, clever and unyielding like a clean steel hammer you can count on. I was there with a friend I don't speak to these days, but I'm grateful for the occasion. When Ashbury died, I was in Woodstock not too far away, writing my more laborious poems, fucking a 22-year-old I liked because he admired me. I don't need to explain myself, do I? This is my youth, isn't it? 
I am filled with anxieties and I don't want to spend my days fluffing my wings like a sidewalk pigeon waiting for crumbs. At least the streets are warm for February. If I get dressed and ready now, I'll still make it in time to meet some sharp and begging stranger for a beer. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Our last reader of the evening. <laughs> Spilling beers on the way back. Our last reader of the evening is uh, one of our staff members. I just want to make clear, there is no nepotism here. <laughs> you are the ones who are voting. She was voted in by audience vote. Give it up for Josephine Blair. Five foot ten. Can we? A little higher. A little higher. Yeah, that's pr yeah. Cool. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Um, can we just first of all, like, we're all still here. Can we just like it's yeah. Um. Okay. So um, I'm just gonna read the poem now. I was at the retreat this weekend um, and realized like this poem is written about something that I realized just this weekend that I wasn't quite finished processing yet. So this is gonna be a very fun experience for everyone. Um, okay, um, it's called Jalix. And it's written in blank verse, so you should all be very impressed. We already are. Thank you, okay. Um, Jalix. <laughs> he hears they all have J names. The three laughing beside him at the table, where he tries to read, but keeps instead imagining soil crumbling across the arching of her eyes, rising to touch the sun before she speaks. He plots his move, listening to them squabble about which planets or which giants he knows, but leans to her instead and asks her if she has a pencil. He won't deface Burgess with ink. His voice collapses. She gathers it in pieces, stuffs bits into her pockets, and says, yes. She asks his name. It's Jalix. She twists her brows and laughs. Your name is what? His cheeks are flushed, his eyes flicker. No, it's Alex. I heard you all had J names, and I wanted to fit in. <laughs> She's struck. They spend the week pouring into each other. They do not know she'll come years later to hang these words to dry like flowers on a tombstone. She'll leave her breath to filter through the wet tongues of ghosts from all the words before. They do not know he'll die while she is driving. That she will spend a decade learning how to count, practice at first with words he's left, clockwork, Coffee, rooftops, lilies, each blossom a planet impossible to swallow. She'll spend full moons subtracting light from color, 
let the remainders hang between her teeth like shoestrings, multiply to find the distance between old mountains and all the feet they've lost. She will scream at the garbage disposal each time it shreds an orange peel, confusing fruit with her own flesh. Water will flush away what's left, erase it like a memory. She'll scream at everything. Thank you. Okay. I just want to add that poem was written in my blank verse workshop. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I will, I will be I will be teaching that workshop at the start of next year. Okay, to review, we had eleven readers. One did not show up or give us any poem, so uh, you can probably figure out who that was if you have a ballot. I'm gonna go backwards in order. That was Josephine Blair. You just heard from Alex, Sarah, Giorgio, Shane, Wagner, Beatrice K via audio file, Marshall Grip Gilson, Azira Azuzan McLeod, also via audio, Kim Brandon, Constantine Jones, Hannah Donovan, Kyle Brosnahan, and Mary Sun. It's a hard choice, I know, uh, but you can only vote for one. Don't, don't give us a ballot with like a split vote. So just circle it. Yeah, you've got a lot of check marks. Make sure your vote is clear. If your vote is not clear, we're just going to disregard it. All right, circle, circle your vote. Circle your vote. There's a lot of chaos. People are leaving. You might wait until the votes are collected before you leave. That would be cool. Just, just a way to respect this event and this community. No one is listening. You're all just leaving. <laughs> Uh, Renee K. And actually, this is going to be Renee. And uh, maybe, can I get Bill to help out? You want to help out too? Uh, Renee and Bill are going to collect votes. So pass your votes to the center. <laughs> there are more votes than our people here. How does he know that? <laughs> Renee, I would take those to the corner. <laughs> you see Ricardo Hernandez over there? He's our muscle tonight. <laughs> Give a hand to Ricardo Hernandez, our original Yawper of the Year. Take a seat, take a seat. Renee, step behind that table. Everyone leave Renee alone. <laughs> Do not harass her. She is going to tally the votes. <laughs> I'm going to try to help between <laughs> bouts at the mic. Uh, has Lori Murphy showed up yet? She has not. She swears she said she's going to be here by 10, but she's not here yet. So uh, we are going to hear from the former co-winners of the year of Poem of the Year last year. We had a very intense vote last year. We had two co-winners and a runner-up. It was very close. The runner-up lost by exactly one vote, and that was Star Davis. It was an incredible moment because Star Davis did not vote for herself last year. She voted for one of the other co-winners, and she was phenomenal. Uh, so let's remember that. Let's give Star Davis a round of applause on this podcast. Show her some love. So uh, hopefully Laura will show up. If she doesn't, we will just uh, move on to the next reader, and maybe we can fold her in later. But uh, one of the co-winners was Emily Wilkinson, a fantastic poet. Give her a round of applause. Sure. 
she uh, came all the way from Australia last year to compete in the contest. So uh, I guess it was good that Star voted for her. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, uh, a very moving story. She couldn't <laughs> make the trip again <laughs> for this. That would just be super expensive. Uh, but uh, we are going to play a new poem that she wrote uh, for tonight. And where is my email? There it is. So I just want a little preface. She wrote this little note. This poem is called uh, Valetudo. She said, I wrote this poem last year when I read about the discovery of an oddball outer moon of Jupiter. Apparently, it is orbiting the wrong way, prograde rather than <laughs> retrograde around Jupiter. So here is Emily Wilkinson. Valetudo. We were searching for a remote ninth planet beyond Neptune when we found you dangling like a lantern in the night. Tiny moon, your orbit was locked when you fell for Jupiter's pull before any of us existed, leaving you circling into the path of 61 other moons hurtling towards you in the glare. Valetudo, you are what is left of you ground down by collisions of the past, your skin all open, all craters, all bone dust. Not long now, wild orb, before you slam headlong into one of your sisters. I guess, I guess that is it. Uh, thank you, Emily. I don't see Laura Murphy. Oh, there she is. Wow, that is literally showing up right at the moment that you were expected. So one of our co-winners of Yacht Poem of the Year from last year, live and in the flesh, give it up for Laura Murphy. dedicated to my brother. Um, it's it's titled after a measurement tool that Alexander von Humboldt took to South America called the cyanometer, which he tried to measure the blueness of the sky, which is like exactly for poets. Um, <laughs> so here it is, cyanometer, for my brother Patrick. On cerulean days, when the sky was like a dome and we were held in God's own gloved hand, we called to one another through lacustrine lands. Maple seeds spun like pinwheels behind us as we followed indigo bunting up mountain passes, inhaled the sharp mineral smell of wetted stone and matted leaves, gathered strands of weeping willow in our hands and swung wide over the dappling pond. We discovered car bumpers, like the jaws of the ancient steer bleaching in the sun. Columbine grew wild among the grasses, and we could not imagine a life that wasn't light fast and endless. We believed in the chaos of the terrestrial world brought to order. It's floating fabric, mathematic, but the, de but the design divine. The blueness of the sky, a measure of transparency, a vapor of time. Thank you. 
Okay. I've never seen Renee Kay look so stressed back there. Let's give Renee a round of applause as she counts the votes. Thank you, Laura Murphy. I'm so glad you were able to arrive. Okay, so uh, we are close to the uh, results of the vote. We are now going to hear from our former Yop of the Year. Or I can't form It sounds like he's dead. He's, he's here tonight. Our, it's just this is his last official night as Yop of the Year. What the Yop of the Year Award is is an award that we give to a member of our Yop community who is a, a regular, who is a fantastic poet, both on the page, but also in performance, but also perhaps even more importantly is a strong supporter of other poets. Uh, that's a very big value to me. It's a very big value to our community. Many poets who are great that I love are not great at supporting other poets, and uh, that kind of sucks uh, because there's definitely not a choice you have to make. You don't have to choose your art versus other poets. That's fucking lame. You can love your art and also love other poets and also support the community. So uh, Bill Livingston definitely supports those values and embodies them. Give it up for Bill Livingston. This is for you from everyone that signed the card. <laughs> and there's a, <laughs> there's a gift certificate in there for a kick-ass place that has uh, great old fashions, so I hear. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you. I also want to say uh, I just karaoke with this motherfucker, and he is a really fucking good singer. And he is legend for his courageousness in the song selections that he picks. So it's absolutely amazing. So keep it going for Jason. Everybody give me a big yelp. All right. And now everybody give me the finger. Thank you. My fans giving me the send off. All right, so, so I'm very shy. I, um, it's been a great year. Um, it's been a great honor being Yelper of the Year. Been to some great events, great readings, uh, book, book launch or two. Um, I had the honor of uh, emceeing one month for Jason. Yes, July was some help from great friends and um, making new poet friends, uh, strengthening the bonds of current poet friends. Just so thank you very much. And uh, it's my honor to uh, pass the torch on to the next uh, Yopper of the Year who um, really, really super deserves it. And um, I can't say yet because it's not announced. So. <laughs> So I get to read something. Um, I'm going to be uh, fighting tooth and nail for open mic spots next year, like the rest of you. So, um, but I'll be here listening either way. Um, so it's always an honor uh, opening the mailbox and seeing something that you've been published in. Um, this is called Flare, the Flagler Review. And the poem in here I read last year and um, I finally got my hands on this. This is from spring of uh, this year. And this is called, There Are Too Many Bicycles in Pharmaceutical Ads. 
There are too many bicycles and pharmaceutical ads, too many elders lapping the young in our swimming pools, too many brisk walkers in crisp tracksuits with gleaming starshine teeth, too many white fathers building dollhouses for daughters in perfect health, too many white mothers in bountiful gardens with flawless sunlight, too many purebred canines along for the journey toward relief. Too many romps on pristine beaches awash in seashells ready for their close-ups. Too many sober rounds of golf on unnaturally green fairways. Too many patients as wind-up toys you can't even find in the stores. Too many sinister disclaimers telling us how deadly the cure is. Let's see more astronauts dodging meteors or better yet punching them back into space while dealing with Crohn's disease. Let's see more octogenarian fighting, octogenarians fighting zombie hordes while fighting their rheumatoid arthritis. <laughs> Let's see bold criminals dodging police on foot and horseback while fleeing from depression. Let's see Nepalese Sherpas hang gliding from the summit of Everest during their flight from plaque psoriasis. Let's see a battalion of axe throwers splitting the apples on their lovers' heads while carving out the cancer from their bodies. Let's see the Inuit deep diving with the orcas singing their songs to the ocean's floor while drowning their impotence. Let's see three out of five poets surveyed. Let's see the ominous disclaimer replaced by play it safe, smoke pot, Look into acupuncture and vote Democrat. Let's get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. It's been a good run for you this year. Uh, really, just uh, you've really been just uh, not just a great person, Pope, but like uh, just killing it at the open mic the whole. The whole year. I have the I have the results of the vote, but it's not time yet. <laughs> I got I got a little ahead of myself. Uh, so we are going to announce the uh, Yopper of the Year for 2019. It's 2019, right? We're still in 2019. Uh, this is a very special year for for this poet, and it's uh, a poet that's dear to my heart and also Brooklyn Poets' heart because uh, she she didn't start writing poems with us, but she she kind of came back to poetry with us and found her way again, found her footing, and uh, won Poem of the Month very early on. Uh, it her, uh, I don't know if it's the first or second time she read at the open mic, and then she won Poem of the Year that year, uh, which was, I think, two or three years ago. I can't remember the exact date. 2016, <laughs> you were definitely a Yopper of the Year. You're a historian <laughs> of Brooklyn Poets Awards. Uh, and then this year, she was writing these amazing poems all this time, and then this year she published her first book, uh, which is a fantastic book. She read for us earlier this fall. Our Yopper of the Year 2019 is Julia Knobloch. Give it up for Julia. <laughs> So yeah, three years ago I was standing here and I won Poem of the Year, and I didn't know anybody. 
And I didn't know anybody here. I had asked one friend if she wanted to come. She couldn't make it. And then one colleague who I hadn't really known well, she just showed up and she was here. But I didn't know anybody when I was here three years ago. And just to think how many dear friends and peers I've made over those three years is just um, incredible. And I'm just like super grateful to everyone who has been part of this. And and I'm just also super happy and proud, I guess, to have been considered someone who supports other poets. So thank you very much. Um, this is this means a lot, and I have like. And I have like incredible footsteps, uh, footsteps to follow. Um, from Ricky, and I may not get this in the right order, and if I'm forgetting someone, please don't hate me. Ricky, Julie, Emily, Arthur, and Bill. Am I forgetting anyone? No, right? Right? I got all of them, right? So, okay, great. So, because everyone wants to hear the result of the um, SmackDown, I'm just going to read a poem. It's the last poem I wrote. It's very new. And I am getting in this age where I don't know anymore what to do with my glasses or not, or wear glasses or not. It's terrible. And it's called In the Biblical Sense. Oh, and the one thing that you should need to know about the poem is that it's addressed to a person whose name in the original language sort of translates to salvation. Now that summer is over and we're not lovers anymore, I finally lost the few pounds I wanted to lose before the summer. <laughs> before you undressed me on a humid thunderstorm night in July, probably the hottest night of the summer, when it wasn't clear whether God was celebrating or raging. You said that maybe Hashem wasn't happy, and I, who had been waiting to see your face again, your sparse chest hair framed by an adobe-colored v-neck, knowing that soon I would know you in the biblical sense, I laughed and said, oh no, Hashem is happy, when it should have given me pause that the rainfall was apocalyptic and it was too dark for even a rainbow. After our fight, a day after your birthday, you wrote me you had been thinking a lot about our connection over the past weeks, months, and years, and I have done the same. I have thought a lot about the Shabbat lunch one February where we first met, you in a red t-shirt and a scarf loosely wrapped around your neck, looking like a proud, tight-lipped Zionist. You friended me on Facebook a couple days later and invited me to a dinner, and although I had been waiting for you to be in touch, I declined to go, with a half-hearted excuse that was only half a lie, because I worried I might fall in love with you and that there were too many years between us. I have thought of that evening at the startup Talmud class, when I felt your glance on me, this earnest, guarded glance, warm and curious, that I noticed again at the retreat up the Hudson, when you light stretched out on the floor and I looked at you when I walked out of the room, or one year later, when I gave a sermon about the nature of love and suddenly spotted you among the crowd. Or a week after the humid thunderstorm night in July, when you made a vague attempt to caress my cheek, which I took for shyness then, but now for regret and defeat. That night I noticed for the first time that your eyes are both green and amber. Funny, right? How I always remembered the intensity of your glance and not the color of your eyes. 
looking back, there was something hesitant in your behavior already on that humid thunderstorm night, almost imperceptible, yet there, faint enough to be almost washed away with the rain and desire. And maybe it was for this undefined hesitant something, not for the few pounds I had not yet lost, that I felt as undesirable as never before, full of desire for you, desire that felt undesired, inhi inhibited, age inappropriate, and angry about it, angry at you, at my body, at our mothers, who are only five years apart. I have thought about the one exception in early August when our bodies were so close I thought I felt your soul. When you asked, is this good? And it was good. Where was the last time I saw you, you asked, when we met up this spring before the summer, when we were still just friends, and that was good too, and we both sat Washington Square and smiled. It was your birthday, I had an interview the next day, and you had invited me to hang out on a humid late August day in Washington Square Park. The next day, the day after your birthday, you texted me good energy right before the interview, and if a psychic had told us we'd be yelling at one another on 6th Avenue exactly one year later, we would not have believed it. Near the Garibaldi statue, we hugged goodbye, our hands running down each other's arm, our fingers just so delaying the separation, and I have been thinking a lot about the look on your face that day. Now the last time I saw you was in front of the Brooklyn Public Library, looming against the black sky, and instead of hugging me, you began to give a blessing, of which I only understood may you be, before you stopped halfway and turned around. As I watched your blue kippah disappear into the crowd, I thought of our intentions profusely discussed over the previous weeks to remain friends, to become even better friends than before, someday. And I thought of how you once said that you don't relate to the idea of embodying salvation, of creating salvation together. And I may have understood what you meant then. Then again, I believe this is something people can do. Maybe it is the only thing we can do. Save one another. What else are lovers doing? What else is salvation, if not love? Thank you. Okay, thank you, Julia. Now you get to come every month next year. <laughs> uh, so part of the award, you offer the year, you get a $250 cash prize. You also get a Broken Poets membership for a year. Uh, so that just got that just got renewed, uh, and you get a Broken Poets T-shirt. Uh, so it pays to support other poets. Uh, the Yacht Poem of the Year Award also comes with a $250 cash prize, also a free T-shirt, and also a membership. Also, all the winners of uh, Yacht Poem of the Month over the course of the year, the finalist gets a free Broken Poets tote bag. Step away there for a second. Show that tote bag on the brick wall. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, that's a new thing we're doing this year because that bag is so fancy. We're going to give it to all the finalists. So uh, if you were a finalist tonight, make sure to claim your bag. Also, if you were a finalist tonight, please stick around unless you just absolutely have to leave for some reason, like there's a child cry crying at home or something or somebody's dying. Stick around. <laughs> that sounded really grim. But I just need you here for a group photo that we would like to take. So uh, please remember that. Uh, stick around for the photo also to pick up your tote bag. Uh, I have the winners of Poem of the Month. There are two. Uh, and... And it's a good thing I brought two checks. <laughs> Last year this happened and I was not prepared. This year I thought ahead. But before we announce the Poem of the Year co-winners, we have a runner-up. We always name a runner-up. The runner-up also gets a free t-shirt, which is awesome. Uh, this poet was fantastic tonight. Uh, the poem is great, but he really brought it. Give it up for Marshall Grip Gilson, our Yacht Poem of the Year runner-up. Take a bow, Marshall. Stand up. Take a bow. <laughs> 
Very well deserved. Fantastic poem. You only lost by a few votes. It wasn't so excruciating. You didn't lose by like one. I don't know if that would have been better or worse. I would have I would have been like really in pain if I had lost by one vote. Uh, it's a very tight vote. Uh, the last two uh, the last two standing. The co-winners both uh, received 17 votes. Our first co-winner of 2019 Y'all Poem of the Year is Kyle Brosnahan. Give it up for Kyle Brosnahan. Come on up. No, no, like actually come up <laughs> so I can give you your award. No, no, like actually come up here. <laughs> you haven't won a lot of things apparently. <laughs> Let me shake your hand. Uh, so just stand here for a second and then uh, uh, I'll let you say a few words in a second. And uh, our other co-winner of Yapo on the Year has been coming here a lot. Fantastic poet. Give it up for Constantine Jones. So, uh, congratulations to you both. I just want to say the only bad news for both of you is that you now have to split the 250. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll be fine with it. So, uh, if either you want to say a few words, Kyle, maybe, and then Constantine. Uh, yeah, I just want to thank my agent and my managers, and uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, so I don't know if I've ever said my biography up here, but I'm from Nebraska. I moved here like I moved here like five months ago, uh, and uh, everyone calls me Bandito. That's actually my nickname, and I've been scared to call that myself uh, in front of all you New Yorkers. But if you ever want to be my friend, call me Bandito. I'm hungry for friends. I love poets. Uh, if there's any readings you want me to read at, I'll read at it. If there's writers groups or anything, I'll do it. Uh, if you want to meet up and go to a bar, I just love meeting people. All of you are so cute and beautiful. <laughs> and I, uh, being a poet uh, or a writer or literarily inclined, uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. So thank you all for coming. Uh, hit me up. There's like not anything else to say. Why first? I'm gonna call you Bandito from now on. This is ben, this is my friend Bandito. When I first saw Bandito do that poem, I literally I thought I was gonna shit on the floor. I really I really did, um, and that's how I feel actually like most nights at these things. Uh, so I'm like not I'm a very sappy person, but I'm not gonna be sappy. I just want to say thanks to like just everybody. Keep doing stuff. Thank you so much. Uh, wow, great night. Thanks to all of you for being a great audience. Give yourselves a round of applause. Uh, a couple of things before we go. Uh, remember, uh, next week, Monday, we will be back in this room for our fall workshop showcase. Our professors and students will be reading together. That's our final event of the year. Throw some money in the jar if you can on your way out for our Giving Tuesday to the end of year fundraiser. It definitely helps poets uh, do this work that we do. I want to give a big uh, uh, shout out and another round of applause to our staff, Joe Kipriano, also known as Josephine Blair, Renee Kay, who counted all the votes, and Kendall Thomas, our DJ tonight, handling the podcast recording and the audio files. Keep it going for all of our Yacht Home of the Year finalists. You were fantastic.
Shane Wagner, Zero Zuzel McLeod, Beatrice K, Alex Giorgio, Hannah Donovan. I'm gonna have to remember everyone's name now. <laughs> and uh, everyone else that I can't remember at the at particular moment. Uh, thank you for coming. Uh, keep supporting other poets. Don't just love yourself, love other people. Uh, if you wanna buy a t-shirt, do that. Uh, make sure to take your cups and place downstairs. It definitely helps us pack up. If you are a Yacht Poem of the Year finalist, please stick around for that group photo and to claim your tote bag. And uh, if you are one of the winners, go over there and get a t-shirt. Okay, thanks everyone. Okay, there you have it. The 2019 Yacht Poem of the Year Smackdown. I hope you enjoyed it. Congrats to our award winners. First, our rudder-up Marshall Grip Gilson for his fantastic poem, Black Boy Climbs Into the Gorilla Cage to Ask for Advice. And our illustrious co-winners, Kyle Brosnahan for his hilarious poem, Martha. And Constantine Jones for Crossroad Blues, O Death Reprise, part of an ongoing series for Constantine, which is terrific. And last but not least, congrats to our 2019 Yawper of the Year, Julia Knobloch, for not only her outstanding work as a poet and a performer, but her generous support of other poets, uh, something we really value. And uh, now Julia will be our, sort of like our chair poet for the next year. She's going to have a reserved slot at our open mic all year. And Kyle and Constantine uh, will as well. I guess they will probably interchange their spots every other month. Um, that is all for our podcast in 2019. Hope you've enjoyed it. Our next yop is coming up the second Monday of January, which is January 13th. We're excited about this one. We will kick off the calendar uh, of all of the yops. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. We will kick off the year with uh, Shira Ehrlichman in the house to lead our workshop and feature before open mic. If you don't know Shira Ehrlichman, uh, I don't know where you've been living. She is uh, one of the most exciting poets writing today. Her new book, Ode to Lithium, was released last year or last fall, uh, to be more particular, by uh, Alice James Books. Uh, it's one of the best books of the year. Definitely go read that. She is teaching a couple of workshops for us in 2020, including a book manuscript workshop. Um, on January 13th, she's going to give a little glimpse of the five-week workshop she is leading uh, on writing about the ordinary, but in a transformative way. So uh, you got to come to that, yup, to see what that's all about. Uh, that's always the biggest yup of the year. Uh, because everyone's got their New Year's resolutions and wants to get back to writing again. So if you want to sign up, you can sign up in advance for this one. Uh, it is already full, but you can sign up anyway. Uh, there will likely be as many people at this one as we're at the December one. So definitely get there early to get a seat for the workshop. Um, that is all. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'd love it if you'd rate us on iTunes if you haven't done so already. We've got 35-star ratings. Let's double that in 2020. I hope you enjoy your holidays and uh, are well and enjoying whatever food and drink you like to enjoy with your friends and family. Thank you and good night.